Let's go to the Lord again together. God, as we turn to your word, I pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we will not be the same as we came this morning, but through the miraculous transformative power of your grace, you will make us into the people that you've declared us to be, that you will sanctify us, that you will use us, Father, for your glory, that we will see more of your glory and your truth and how beautiful and lovely you are. Father, I pray that your word will strengthen us this day. Lord, we pray the same for Covenant Community Church, our sending church. We pray for Willis Choom, who is standing in for Pastor Tom today. We pray that you will return his voice and that he will bring forth your word in a way that's understandable and that brings you glory this morning, that your people, the fellowship of covenant, will be strengthened today. Father, we pray for Pastor Bobby as he brings your word. We pray that Foundation Church of Fredericksburg will be strengthened today through the preaching, that they too will be able to stand on your word and proclaim boldly the good news of Jesus Christ from what they hear today. Do a work, we pray. Father, we pray for Pastor Roy Garza of Pillar Church 29 Palms. We thank you for that fellowship. We thank you for the work that you're doing through them. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Roy and his family. We pray that you will strengthen them, that you will uphold them and keep them, Father. We pray that the family will stay committed to the ministry that you have given them. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to bring servant-minded believers to join them, Father, that they will continue to reach out to the Marines on the base and that you will be glorified and worshiped. Lord, we thank you for Pastor Vijay and his wife, Abigail, and the blessing of their son, Sunave. We thank you for the ministry you've given Pastor Vijay with Reach All Nations and We know the hard work that is before him in reaching the lost there in the 1040 window. Father, we pray that through Reach All Nations, more people will become the people that you will have us to be. That you will save the lost, that you will break the chains that bind them to false religions where they turn to stone or wood and they, these make-believe gods, may they turn to the true and living God. Father, we pray through Reach All Nations that you'll train more pastors who will preach your word boldly and clearly, that more churches will be planted and strengthened because of the work through Reach All Nations. Lord, we give you the glory and the praise for what you have done. We ask, Father, if it be your will, do more. Save more through reach all nations, we pray. Lord, this week we pray for the Arabic-speaking Algerians, Father. 25 million people trapped in the false religion of Islam. Father, we pray that you will send out missionaries who will... Share the good news of Jesus Christ regardless of what may come back on them, the persecution that, or the trials that they may face. Father, I pray that the gospel will be heard, will be accepted and believed. Father, we pray that you will save that precious people for your glory and their good. 
Lord, pray that as we go through the book of Nehemiah, that you will do a work now. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. For two Sundays, we have been in the first chapter of Nehemiah. We first looked at Nehemiah's humble prayer when he heard the news that Jerusalem and its walls were still in disrepair. They've been a pile of rubble for a long time. The Jews had started to rebuild, but Nehemiah has heard that Artaxerxes has issued a decree for the rebuilding to be stopped. So Nehemiah began to pray. He prayed for months, confessing the people's sins and asking God to answer and make his name dwell in Jerusalem once again. We're told at the end of chapter 1 that he is a cupbearer to the king. He's a Jew who God has placed in a pagan king's court as a cupbearer. Last week we looked at why the Jews were taken away in exile and Jerusalem laid in ruins and was destroyed. Their sin had brought God's judgment Upon them, and God let them experience the consequences of their sin. But being faithful to his own word, God had begun bringing the Jews back. Two times already, some of the Jews have returned. The temple has now been rebuilt. God's word is being read publicly in the temple again in the city. And now, 13 years later, Nehemiah hears the rebuilding has stopped, and he's burdened by that, so he prays. The first verse of chapter 2 tells us that this prayer lasted for months. From the month of Chislev in verse 1 of chapter 1 to the month of Nisan, he prayed. Scholars think anywhere between three and five months, and we're given a summary of his prayer. Maybe he prayed this every day, or this is a summary in chapter 1 of what He prayed. He said, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah prayed this for months. He would ask God to do something today. And the next day, he would go to God and he would pray and he would say, God, do something today. Day after day, Nehemiah would ask God to intervene. Nehemiah was consistent in praying, looking to God. We not only see this in the Old Testament, Paul tells us to do the same thing. He says, pray without ceasing, pray at all times. This has not changed for God's people. We are to always be praying. We are to be praying continually, day in and day out. Day after day, we are to be in prayer. Even if it seems that God is not doing anything, and we begin to wonder, is is God even listening to my prayer? I'm praying this day after day. We're told that we are to still pray. We do not see 
what God sees. We cannot begin to see all that God does. He is never doing just one thing. He is intricate and interweaving so many things that we are unaware of. And we have to learn patience with our prayers. Waiting, though, doesn't always come easy for us, does it? But patience, we're told, is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an attribute of God Himself. God is patient, and so we have to learn to be patient. But realize that when I say that we have to be patient in our prayers, that does not mean that we don't do anything. Patience is not being still. Patience is not being lazy. So don't don't confuse patience with being idle. What did Nehemiah do while he waited on the Lord for months? He prayed. He prayed day in and day out. We are to pray continually with patience as we wait for an answer from God. You see, if God is truly sovereign, then we can trust that all things are in his control and we can wait for his perfect timing. Unfortunately, if we're honest, sometimes you and I can use prayers as an excuse not to do something. If you've been part of church for any amount of time, maybe you've seen this and maybe you've done it yourself. When the right course of action is, is obvious for, for what we should do, we sometimes, what, what do we do? We say, I'll pray about that, right? Our heart is not always in the right place. We really don't want to be obedient, so we use prayer as an excuse, and we'll say, I'll, I'll pray about that. That's how you and I are. We can take good things, even prayer, We can take good things like prayer and we can twist them in our sin. We can use prayer as a way out of not submitting to God's word. So be careful of that. Be honest with yourself about that. And don't do that. With the right heart and the right mindset, pray to God and wait patiently for him to answer. And what did Nehemiah pray? Nehemiah didn't just pray, God, do something. God, just just fix it. No, if we look at his prayer, Nehemiah asked God to use him. He didn't just stand off to the side. He said, give success to your servant today. To make your name known, God, give me your servant success Use me, God, so that you will be known and you will be worshipped. What a blessing to be used by God for his glory. So for months, Nehemiah has been praying. He has not been sitting back. He's been looking to God. He's been waiting on him. And if you need another example of praying constantly, depending on God in prayer, you can read about the Puritans. They, they get a bad rap today. Their reputation is being sticks in the mud or being legalistic, but that could not be further from the truth about the Puritans. The church today can learn a lot from the Puritans. One Bible scholar has described the Puritans as 
some of the godliest people in the history of the church since the apostles. What we can learn from the Puritans is the priority of prayer. How many times, how many days go by where you and I are overcome by other priorities in life? The Puritans point to scriptures like 1 Peter 4, 7 to remind us, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Another translation says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Making priority of prayer the priority in your daily life. Making praying a priority in your life. Matthew Henry, a Puritan who's most most famously known for his commentary in the whole Bible, also wrote a practical method on daily prayer. Here's what he wrote about prayer. He said, I love prayer. It is that which buckles on all the Christian's armor, referring to the armor of God, preparing you to walk daily with God. Henry also points to Psalm 5.3 where David says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I direct my prayer to you. Praying in the morning, in all day, every day. You and I have a rich lineage in the church of those who've gone before us who saw prayer as a vital aspect to their faith. Their faith not being a Sunday-to-Sunday activity, but a daily walking, a daily talking and being with God through prayer. Nehemiah and David are great examples, but we have Christ himself, don't we? When he prayed, he prayed for his disciples in John 17, saying, I'm praying for them. And he prayed that we all are one, just as he and the Father are one, that we see his glory And then he taught us how to pray, didn't he, with the Lord's Prayer. And to this day, the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus is interceding for you. That means Jesus is praying to the Father on your behalf. The assurance of your prayers, and even more so, the assurance of your faith, is based on Christ interceding on your behalf. He advocates for believers that even though you sin, you have the perfect righteousness of Christ. And he prays that even though your life is full of temptations, that those temptations will not ruin your faith. Prayer is not just something you and I add before a meal or the close of a gathering. It's not just an option when we need something. It's not being passive. It's not wasting time. We describe believers who constantly pray as prayer warriors because that's exactly what we are to be in prayer. We are engaged in the holy purposes of God when we pray. The armor is fastened and we're listening to the commander of all that's good and righteous and holy tell us what he wants us to do. So we are to pray We ask God, we lean on God, we wait on God and know that he is there listening, already moving, and in his time, he's answering you. Don't think that it's sufficient that just because you've prayed one time for something that you're done. 
A healthy, vibrant life of faith is one that prays constantly and without ceasing, waiting on the Lord and trusting that he's working for his glory and for your good. Praying to God, then, we can kind of sum up this this thing on prayer, that praying to God brings closeness to God. The more you pray, the more of God and His glory you see and experience. You trust His faithfulness more as you pray. His goodness becomes your protection. His power affects you more because His likeness is seen in you. Through our prayers, His grace becomes more than just words. He transforms you, he strengthens you, and he renews you. This is the Puritan's legacy. It's Nehemiah's legacy, and it needs to be yours as well. May those who come after us say that we gave them such encouragement because our prayers are consistent, that we're faithful to waiting on the Lord for God to act for his glory. Day in and day out, Nehemiah has been praying. And at God's appointed time, the day comes when Nehemiah is serving King Artaxerxes by tasting the wine as the cupbearer and ensuring there's no poison. He then gives it to the king. And the king says to him, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. What does Nehemiah say later? We know that the book of Nehemiah is kind of like Nehemiah's diary. He's writing after the fact. And how does he describe himself in that moment? He says, I was very much afraid. Now, this could be because the cupbearer is not supposed to be sad in the king's presence. If he's downtrodden or long-faced, it could be he's been coerced into doing something that could kill the king. It could also be that Nehemiah was about to do something that would seem like disloyalty to the king. The king had stopped the building and he's the king's servant. He needs to follow the king. He's directly in the presence of the Persian king. He's supposed to be in his presence whenever the king is eating or drinking. And now Nehemiah is getting ready to ask him to leave his presence to go far away to Jerusalem To start what the king has already ordered should cease. Nehemiah didn't intend to be sad, but he was. He hadn't been sad in the king's presence before, but now he was and the king notices. And Nehemiah is thrown into this difficult, this tense situation where his life might be in danger if he angers the king. Do you think Nehemiah would have kept praying all those months if he knew that God would answer his prayer this way? Would you keep praying if you knew that God's answer to your prayer would put you in such a difficult position? Do you truly believe that God is sovereign when you pray? Do you trust him? You see, praying puts our faith into action. James tells us that faith without deeds is dead and prayer is an act of faith. It reveals what you believe about God. Is he working for your good? Will he deliver you? 
Is your salvation secure? Did Jesus really die on the cross for your sin and you believe you're forgiven and this life that you now live is headed towards eternal glory and there's nothing on this earth that can stop that from happening? Do you believe that? Your prayers expose you. Your prayers expose you. They reveal if your faith is genuine or not. Maybe for some here, your lack of prayer reveals your faith is just words only or that you only see God as an instrument to improve this life that you're now living. It's not a saving faith that depends on God for salvation and everything else. Look at how Nehemiah responds to the king. Nehemiah trusts God. He trusts in the sovereignty of the God he's been praying to. And he shows loyalty to the king. He says, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king says, what are you requesting? And what does Nehemiah do in that moment? So I prayed to the God of heaven. There are times, like I started out this morning, there are times when our prayers need to be deep, focused prayers, and we're going to be praying them again and again and again. They may last for months, years even. But there are also times when we pray, it's an immediate prayer because of the moment Maybe because of a crisis or the situation that you're in, an immediate prayer is necessary. Nehemiah's first instinct when he's confronted with this dilemma is to pray to God. Now picture this. Nehemiah is standing before the king. He's doing his job, serving him, but there's, there's some kind of consternation on, on his face. There's a sadness, a longing on his face. And the king says, you're not sick, so, so what's wrong? If he hesitates, it could be the end for Nehemiah. He's very much afraid, so he says a quick, silent prayer. Maybe the king didn't even notice him. Maybe his lips didn't even move. The court didn't know that he was praying. It was that quick. That was his first instinct when he was confronted. And it's not by accident, it's not a coincidence that this quick, silent prayer comes after chapter 1 with all those months of praying. Nehemiah has this instinct to pray because he is a man of prayer. You see, if you're not a person of prayer, you will not have an instinct to pray in those moments when you need to immediately pray. We need to be people of prayer. And as we are in those moments when we need God, He will answer. His grace will be sufficient in those times. Nehemiah's dilemma shows us that God's grace comes in those moments of need. Nehemiah has been praying for those months. And now in the moment, God gives his grace to Nehemiah and he helps him. We are rarely given what we need in advance. God provides when we need it. 
This quick, silent prayer of Nehemiah shows us many good things. It first shows us that prayer is effective. Even in the short prayer, I was very much afraid, so I prayed to the God of heaven. God hears our prayers. Matthew Henry said, We have access to God at all times. We never come to the throne of grace at a bad time. Prayer also results in confidence, and we'll see that in verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven who is over all things, even this difficult situation. The God of heaven is over the Persian king and all of his kingdom. The short prayer also shows us how necessary prayer is in all situations. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you catch what Paul said? In everything, in all situations, no matter what you're faced with, in all things, in everything, submit your requests to God. Even those moments of crisis, we make our requests known to God. That means being anxious in those moments, it actually shows how weak we are, that the sin is still there. It still dwells within us. Anxiety is not a Christ-like characteristic. But even in those times, in our anxiety, when we're very much afraid like Nehemiah, we have a God we can turn to and pray for grace and strength, and he hears us, and he helps us. He sees us in our weakness, and because of Christ, he provides for us. For the Christian, praying to God, whatever the circumstance, should be natural and so commonplace, that's the first thing we do. Yesterday, Jehovah's Witness came by our house again. I love it when Jehovah's Witness comes by my house. Some may see it as a nuisance. I I look forward to it. I pray all the time for evangelistic opportunities. And when they come by, God is bringing that opportunity right to my door. Now my weakness, I confess, my heart began beating heavy. I could feel it in my throat and I needed God's grace in that moment. I went to the door. I invited the men to talk like I always do. Now this was not like the last time they came. Last time they came, they wouldn't come in. In fact, there was an older woman that really did not like me. You could, you could really tell. She, she, even in her comments, in her facial expression, she did not like me at all. She was getting very upset and frustrated with me. Everything she would say, I would point to the scripture, to her and her partner. I would point to the scriptures and say, this is what God says though. And she didn't like that. That conversation didn't last very long, and I invited them to come in like I normally do, and, but most of the time, they don't come in. Yesterday was different. The kids told me that someone was here, and I looked out the window, and I said, it looks like Jehovah's Witnesses, and the kids got excited. They, they knew what was about to happen, and my thoughts went to what I need to say. I had moments before they would be at the door, and surely enough, they ring the doorbell, and I said a quick prayer. I said, God, give me the words to say. May you be honored. It was that quick. 
It literally was that short and quick. And I opened the door and that, that lady was not there. It was two, two gentlemen and I invited them to come in and they actually came in. They tell me that they're inviting folks. They're going around uh, different people's homes and neighborhoods, inviting them to Jesus's memorial. That's how they refer to, to Easter. It's only a memorial. They mentioned they saw the church road signs on our front porch. And I say, yes, I'm, I'm the pastor of, the, of this church. Do you have time to talk? And they did. I told them, I know that there are differences in their religion and what Christians believe. I made that distinction that they believe Jesus is created and that the Bible says he is a person of the Trinity. And we started talking about Jesus and his deity and the, the difference between gods and the almighty God. And they see Jesus just as a lowercase, a God. And they believe Satan is a God and there are other real gods, but there's one God. And I said, well, Jesus is that God? And But it wasn't a debate. I would let them talk and they would let me talk and we didn't talk over each other. And I let them use their translation of the Bible, even though it's twisted and it's got falsehood. They ended up having to go, but they talked about coming back maybe this week. I gave them my contact info and hopefully they will. And I, I ask you to pray about that. It, it seemed like they, they were serious for the first time. And I pray that it is, but the point of that is that God's grace is so clearly evident in that situation. All I did was say a quick prayer. God, give me the words to say and may you be honored. And he was. He gave me the words to say. I didn't know what questions they were going to ask. I wasn't prepped ahead of time. I, I know what they believe, but you never know where the conversation is going to go. And I just simply prayed that. And God gave me the words and the scriptures came, came to mind that I could point to. I only had time to pray and he did that. He, he answered my prayer. Our God is so great and glorious. It doesn't take much from us to ask of him. We don't have to prove that we need his help. He already knows that. He knows we're sinful. He knows we're limited in what we can see and comprehend, that we need him. And isn't it comforting knowing that the God of heaven hears his people's prayers? The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Because of Jesus Christ, those of us who have confessed our sin and trust in his saving work on the cross, that he died in our place, that he took our punishment for him, on himself, and he's victorious over our sin, we are forgiven and made righteous, God says. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteousness of Christ then becomes our righteousness. And so when we pray, God hears the prayers of the righteous. His ears are open to us. When we pray, those moments of crisis immediately become moments of grace. Quickly, look, look with me at what Nehemiah asks from the king after he prays. He lays it all on the line, doesn't he? He's, he's not fearful anymore. He, he, he's going to go for broke now. He says in verse 5, he asked permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And then he goes further in verses 7 and 8. 
He asks for royal letters that will give him safe passage all the way there, and another letter that will give him permission to use all the timber he needs to rebuild the gates, the walls, and even a house for him to live in. And the king says yes to it all. And if you turn to verse 9, that we'll look at as part of next week, verse 9 tells us the king even sends soldiers with him to protect him. Do you see the immediacy of prayer? Do you see the confidence in prayer? Do you see the effectiveness of prayer and the necessity of it? And do you pray like that? Do you turn to God in those moments and immediately ask Him to help you and to be glorified in you? That is what we see here. This is the type of life we all need to have. This needs to shape how we look at all situations and immediately pray to God in all of them. And when we pray, we testify that it's God who is the giver and he gets the glory. Look at how verse 8 ends. And the king granted me what I asked. Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. The hand of God was at work in that pagan king for the restoring of his people. And Nehemiah gives God the glory for that. This was all God's doing and he should be glorified for it. Now, Nehemiah is the one who asked the king, but it's God who directed the king and gave to Nehemiah so that God could accomplish his purpose of restoring his people and to prepare for the Messiah who was to come. It's always God's doing. May we be the one asking. It doesn't matter. We can be the one asking. We can be the one who's doing. But it's God who directs and who provides. So he can accomplish his great plan of salvation and prepare for the return of our Savior. Pray to God in all situations, especially in those immediate times, and give God the glory for it. Let's pray.